Hey everyone, I have another really exciting episode to release today. I interviewed Bastia Pessin, who is a social worker, and we focus on a really interesting topic about somatic therapy. And um, I'm not an expert on this at all, and um, Bastia has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this topic, and it was so much fun to get to speak with her and really get to know her. Um, and she shared so much with us about things that go on in our body and how to sense them and how to process them. And I think that this is a really important episode because I see this a lot in my office that people tell me like they don't know why they ate or they don't know when they ate or they don't really know what they were feeling. And just doing this work brings up a lot of feelings that they've been numbing with pain and starting to understand that our body gives us signals and it's not always in it's not always the language that we have or it's not always the memory that we have it's like accessing it through the body is really really powerful so um it's i call it or it's called embodiment so like embodying your body or sometimes we use food to disassociate from our body so learning the um the signals of our body is a really powerful tool so um listen to the episode. Let me know what you think. I love to hear feedback. I love to hear questions. Reach out to Basia if you want to book a session or get to know her a little bit better. All of her information is in the show notes. And if you like this episode, you might like other episodes. So please subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel and check out my website, www.gilaglassberg.com. And there you could see some blog posts. You could see other episodes like this, and you could also apply for a free 20 minute clarity call to see if, if we are a good fit to work together to heal your relationship with food using the 10 principles of intuitive eating and self-care. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, and today I have Basia Pessin. Hi, Basia. Hi. It's funny because I know this is being recorded at the podcast, but then I'm like, wait, I also see myself and people watch this. I know. It's very, it's very interesting. And <laughs> it's, it's going to go on YouTube and it's going to go on Instagram. And But today we're just doing organic conversation and we're just going to mm-hmm. talk about what you do. Where, so let's start with you. Where do you um, live and what do you do? Okay. So I live in Pomona. I also work in Pomona. My office is in Pomona. That's like Muncie. Um, it's Muncie. I like to say Pomona because sometimes it's just a bit outside. For most people, Muncie, it's not such a big deal. So like, mm. you know, wherever you live, you live and you can get there. Um, it just, I don't know. You could live like a half hour on the other side of town. And then you're like, wait, hold on. That's where your office is? That's far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, for some people it makes a difference. But yes, it is Muncie. Rockland okay. County. Could say. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? So I am a, um, for a second, I'm like, wait, what are you? Well, I'm a person, first and first. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker and um, I currently see clients privately and I also teach um, new social workers. I mean, they're not social workers yet, but when I talk to them, I consider them as if they're already there, you know? Where because- do you teach? I teach right now, um, I teach on and off. Right now, middle of a semester with um, Sarah Schneer, which is through Concordia. Um, but that program's actually ending. So oh. that's the last time I'll be teaching in that program specifically, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I decide, you know, semester at a time. Mm-hmm. It's hard and, also with life so up in the air these days to yeah. know that if I want to teach next semester, I don't know. I mean, the world's on fire, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's really yeah. cool that you're a teacher. I, I was... 
I was considering teaching nutrition for at a certain point, but I don't do that, but it's, yeah. it's definitely like needed, like to, you know, share your knowledge with people. I love it. Honestly, I, every time I consider whether or not I want to do it just because it happens to be a lot of work, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. prep, there's grading. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my students will be the first to tell you I'm the worst grader. They're like waiting for their grades and I feel terrible. Um, but it's like, the it's like, it's gotta be the last thing on the list because, right. you know, yeah. um, and, but so it is a lot of work, but I really enjoy it. Like I leave, uh, you know, and I, even though we're doing it over zoom these days, cause you know, um, because of the pandemic. So like there's, there's really no choice. I, I happen to enjoy it because it's comfortable to be in my own space and to teach. Um, but I find that even though it's in the evening, it's like the end of a long night, I leave with an energy because I, I really like to enjoy, I don't know, there's something like um, different versus being with a client, like giving over information in a very different kind of way. Um, and it also kind of like warms my heart to know that like I'm involved in helping other people be there for more people. Right. It's just like, it feels like paying it forward, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I do, I like it. That's so cool. Um, yeah. So how long have you been a social worker for? What year is it? <laughs> Every time people ask me that, I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm like around counting. I can't, I can't remember sometimes when I graduated high school, I have to like check with people like what year did we graduate again? So how many years have I been? It's probably about 10 years, but I can't remember what year I actually graduated in. It's hard well, to but did you, did you always want to have your own practice? Was that like always the goal? Um, I think somewhere in the back of my mind that was. Um, I, I know that I don't like working for people in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just feels very constricting. I like to do my own thing. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't like to be told what to do and when to do it. It feels so like opposite of like listening to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you have to do that. You can't skip that. Um, right. I, I think it's really unfortunate when people um, assume that they can kind of jump into it and like be ready there um, because you need the learning. And I, and I loved the work in the clinics. I, 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 um, I used to work in the Jewish board in Flatbush. I used to work, I used to live in Flatbush and I like, it was like a family, the team mm-hmm. there. Like I mm-hmm. really enjoyed being part of that. Um, and I did learn a lot. It was, yeah. but it was also constantly on. Like there was no, no such thing as like a break. Right. It, you just gotta be on at all times. Like it's a lot. So at some right. point you need to consider doing other things because you can't sustain that. I mean, some people do stay in clinics for a very long time. Um, but most people can't because it's a lot of pressure, the way the clinics are run. And that's a whole other issue altogether, you know, just in terms of funding, they have to, they have to run it this way. Right, right. So they need the volume. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the funding that they're getting, it's just, I mean, I'm not in, in, um, there's a lot of social workers who are in um, policy change and like do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. I, I think it scares me but it's needed because it's not fair. It's really unfortunate. You have people who are being burnt out. You have right. clients who are not getting like enough of what they need, Right. Uh, but they're doing the best they can. Like it mm-hmm. is what it is. But at the same time, I, I felt like I couldn't sustain myself there. Like I couldn't stay there and still help people because at right. some point it's too much. Right. Actually, I have a friend that works there and she's, she wants to branch out one day, get her, you know, become a yeah. private practice, like um, right. therapist. But she, she told me that like the, the experience is like invaluable, which is like interesting because yeah. we don't, yeah. dietitians do not have to have supervision, which is kind of sad. Interesting. It's scary. So a yeah. lot, is of, every, yeah. To be honest, any, any kind of position that's helping other people that doesn't have supervision is frightening. It is. It's just. Right. Right. The also, close, I think yeah. supervision is not just about the oversight, but it's also about, um, the filling up your own cup like how are you mm. continuously being there for someone if you don't have anyone like uh it's not over you it's, it's like with you right it's different yeah. and also being in private practice could be pretty isolating yeah you're by yourself unless you choose not to be right um right so, it's true yeah so so when i started my private practice i was i was warned that and um the group of dietitians that that i surround myself with on um, whatever via right. whatsapp um they all they all pay for you know private supervision because oh, it's just great. yeah yeah right it's just that's that what you I can't think. yeah you cannot right. I know people who are actually in clinics where they don't feel like they're getting su- sufficient supervision and they all still pay 
right. for private supervision. Right. I was really lucky to be in a clinic where we had amazing supervisors, like really, really great. I still speak to my supervisor, one of, one of them. Um, I still speak to her. And it's, I mean, it's, again, when you're working by yourself, you don't have that team, that family. Um, we still have, you know, we still try to like, you know, connect to each other from then. Um, people actually that are in that, on that team, obviously it's evolved over time, but have moved all around the world and we try to stay connected. Right. Um, it's different. And, and definitely the experience that you're getting in a clinic is, is, is never going to, you're never going to get that kind of experience anywhere else because um, at some point, all types of people move through a clinic. So you're going to get a right. lot of experience. Right. So I was in different clinics. That's the one that comes to my mind because I was there for the longest. Mm -hmm. And that's where I like built like a family. Right. Um, the other places were good, but it's just different. A lot of different places that I worked. So right. Right. Different. It's interesting that we're talking about like the, almost like the business model of like private practice, but mm -hmm. what came to mind is that um, there's like that fine line between like confidence and imposter syndrome. Like whenever I mm -hmm. talk to other dietitians about like, do you think that this case needs supervision? Should I speak to someone higher up? They're like, I think this is like your imposter syndrome. Like, I think you, we already talked about right. that, you know, or versus like, yeah, call whatever. Right. Like sometimes I, I've done supervision with Evelyn Triboli, the author, mm -hmm. one of the authors. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, how do you know, like to, to trust yourself versus to ask, you know? It's funny because I think I have students who I remember they're talking about getting a certain internship um, and they didn't want to because they were worried that they wouldn't be enough for those people. Right. Um, and I think that there needs to be like a healthy dose of humility when you're entering the field. Like you don't know it all, mm -hmm. but you don't know nothing. You're right. here because you're willing to offer something of yourself. Right. And by, by itself, just that is, is tremendous. I think... I mean, yes, you need the training, you need the supervision, you can't pretend like you know it all, you can't take a case that's just not something you know about. Right. Um, and you need the ongoing training and, and work. It's really work to be more and to keep like, you know, working on that aspect. Um, but I think that I, I remember years ago when I wanted to go into this field, I mentioned this to a family member and he did not have good experience with therapy as a kid. And I remember he said something, he was very upset at me. Like, why would you want to do that? Like therapists are bad people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember him being very upset. He comes back a bit later and he says, um, okay, you could do it. Like almost like I needed his permission. permission. Yeah, You could do it, but you can't charge any money. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that, that's kind of a problem because, you know, I do need to support myself at that point it was just myself but um eventually a family right and I think I remember sitting with teens in that clinic years ago who would say you you don't care you're just getting paid to be here right right I think it's such a hard thing to explain but if I just wanted to get paid I would be a graphic designer right I mean, graphic designers are great. I love them. Right. One of my right. best friends is a graphic designer. I'm not thinking that's, it's a wonderful field. Like everything's a great field to be in if you're there to support people who can't do that otherwise for themselves. Right. But it just doesn't come with the heaviness right. and, the, and holding space for people. And people right. don't go into this field for a paycheck. I mean, that too, you can't, I mean, you can't take that away. Right. But the idea that, um, that that's why people are here is kind of flawed because mm -hmm. the only people who would, knowingly enter into a position where they're gonna to have to give of themselves in that way um, is if there's something more for right. them. Right. So there's that, but on the, on the other hand, at the same time, it is a business and, and it, it's, it's sometimes you know, hard to, it's kind of, um, what's the word? It's hard to balance that piece of like, this is my business, I do need to run it as a business or I can't right. do it. Right. And because also therapists and helpers, and you know this, too, because it's the same kind of thing, right? The help people who are helping by nature are going to get very swept away in how their heart feels about it. Mm -hmm. So people say, oh, I don't want, it's too much for me. I can't, or, you know, this time, or I was late. Can I just have the extra, right? right? And, and you could easily fall into not caring for your business and yourself, right. which could be really um, dangerous because you can't be there for people if you're not caring for yourself. Right, right. So yeah, that evolved quickly. What I was saying was though, 
people really entering this field already have something to right. give right. before they know. Right. And, um, and what's funny is that no matter what, even though the, my new students who talk this way, I remember talking that way five years out of school, seven years out of school, I still talk that way. You know, like, what am I going to offer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What can I offer? Right. Um, that's imposter syndrome for sure. Right, right, right. For sure. Um, and I think that even if there are people who come into my office who I don't help, who feel like it's not the right match, because it really is, it's really mm -hmm. about the shidduch, right? right. It's, it's a match. If it's not the right um, person for you, it's just not going to feel right. And, right. and that's okay, because you're not for everybody. Right. Um, and even if there's hundreds of people who walk through and feel that way, I still know that there's going to be people who I, I need to remind myself of this sometimes, but I know that there's going to be people who are walking out feeling like I got something from that. Mm -hmm. Like you were there yes. for me and I needed mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I need okay. to remind myself of that when I have that imposter syndrome thing going on, when I'm saying mm -hmm. like, you're, you know, you're not a good enough therapist like that therapist, right? You, right. You, like right. in 10 years, maybe you'll be good enough. Right. right. But when, you know, when am I going to stop saying that? Probably never. Right. I remember hearing a podcast actually of a therapist who was in the field for uh, probably 30 plus years, I don't remember, but he was saying that that feeling, you, that's not something that goes away with time or another training or another this, like you, you just, that's like a lot of inner work also in terms of your self-worth. Right, and not right. People. right. It's interesting because like um, I took a eating disorder training with Jessica Setnick and she's like an eating disorder dietitian guru. And she was saying like, um, the way that we behave is the way that we model for our clients to behave. So right. let's say with strong boundaries, like if I'm really sorry, but if you came late to the appointment, like these are my, these are my boundaries. Right. And like, it's, it's interesting because it is obviously like a helping, mm -hmm. helping someone holding space type of field. Cause like someone with imposter syndrome, like that's really hard to do. You're like, ah, my money, you know, whatever. It's not so important. It's my time, my money. Right. But like the, that is kind of like some of the work is like, mm -hmm strengthening yourself right. in order to like show people like you could be strong too right. like right. modeling exactly. that. right and and you can't model right exactly the modeling I always I always say that I don't remember who told me this but therapy is like a laboratory like what happens inside of here is gonna is, is happening outside of there right and this is like the test run right how, right. how are we gonna handle it I'm gonna right. show you how I'm gonna handle it right you're gonna show me how you handle it and I'm gonna kind of feel out from that of like oh you know this is what what happens outside of here it's really right. good information right right when I say like I'm sorry but I you know I can't see you for longer just because you came late or something right right, right. definitely gave right um and my client's really upset about that and how they handle that is going to tell me a lot about how they handle things outside and it'd be such a great tool for us to work right. with. it's such a good opportunity for us to work on something right um some people are not there they don't want to and, and or, or they're not willing to put up with where your lines are at and right. and those people will stop seeing you and you'll know that that's not either the right time for them or you're not the right person for them right or they got what they can from you and and and, and that's it right and it has nothing to do with that's you okay it has to do with them right it's not personal right right, right. that's um, hard it's it, it's it's hard because reality is like what i said before when you asked me what i don't know if you said what i do or, or i think that that's the question what do you do versus like, what are you? Right. And I'm a person, so I'm right. gonna have feelings about it, right? right. I'm gonna have a lot of feelings about it. And I, I, I will definitely have that part of me that feels bad mm -hmm. um, and wants to make it better. Right. But I also know that I have to have a boundary about it. Right, right, definitely. So tell us about your specialty. I wanna hear about that. <sighs> That's a hard one. I don't even like that word, to be honest. Okay, um, what, do you, what word because, do you like? Because specialty, it also feels like, I don't know. I. I, I really feel like words make a difference and something about the word specialty, I, I don't like it special. Like it feels, these things are not special. Like it just mm -hmm. feels, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? There's something about it that feels very triggering to me. I never liked the word, even, even when they, people say niche, right? Like what's your niche? Mm -hmm. um, I, I honestly, I struggle with that because I, I, I want to say my niche is pain. Mm -hmm. When people are in pain, like I, I, I want to be there to hold space for that. And what type of pain that is could vary. Um, if you want to get specific and technical, yeah, I work a lot with trauma. I do work a lot with sexual abuse, um, but it, it organically happened that way. And I, I don't like to say that that's, that's it. Cause it doesn't mm -hmm. feel right. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still, you can tell, I don't have a good answer for that yet because I feel like I'm still like grappling with like, what is 
my specific, you know, who am I? Um, that's a little bit also the business aspect to it. So it depends what, who you're going to speak to. You're going to speak to one kind of therapist who's going to say, like, you don't have to weed people out. You can right. just kind of be, you know, where you're at, whoever calls you, you decide mm-hmm. whether you take that case, you right. know, that kind of right. thing. But on the other, you have on the flip side of that, you have therapists who are, and, and, and therapists who actually coach you through running a business. And they right. say, well, you've got to have a niche. Right. You've got to have your, your specialty. You have to have... Um, I don't know. I'm stuck somewhere between those two. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a good answer to that. Um, but if you want to get like technical about it, trauma, really. So trauma, trauma and sexual abuse. abuse. Um, yeah. So do you, are you comfortable with sharing how that came to be? Cause those are like pretty heavy to hold space for people. That's what I was saying. It kind of happens organically because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't something I specifically chose. Mm-hmm. I think I originally, when I was in school, you had to pick a um, kind of, there was like a few different tracks in the second year of school, and I chose substance abuse. Um, and I worked in a, at my internship, and then afterwards I worked there for a bit um, at a outpatient substance abuse clinic. Um, it was good. I learned a lot. It just, it wasn't exactly right for me. Um, and then I moved on to the Jewish board where I had told you that that mm-hmm. was, that was where a lot of the trauma cases came up. I got some training in, um, different models for sexual abuse, um, for, for abuse in general, but it just happens to be, um, it's sad, but, and, and unfortunate about the world that we live in. But a lot of the cases that came were sexual abuse. Um, so once you start working in that field and then someone says, oh, you've done, like you do that work. You, you, I don't want to say you like that work, but I, it, because it feels unfair to even say that to, mm-hmm. to the people that have suffered through that. Um, but I feel like um, I'm able to be there to hold space for that type of pain. And it just, once you go there, it, it's like, you know, the next time you get a referral, that's where it is. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say I like it because it feels wrong to say that, but I, I, I enjoy that, the kind of work, um, to see somebody who has been hurt in that kind of way. And I mean, in any type of abuse really, but taking advantage of to be there to hold space for them and to know that they're, they do have strength through that. Um, I think it's, it teaches me a lot also. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. yeah. So what, what is like your favorite modality of healing when it comes to abuse? Favorite. <laughs> Favorites. Favorites. That's better. Favorites. Um, so, so, you know, you know, I do so, some somatic work and that yeah. was, a, it was new for me in the sense of like when I trained in the somatic work, but it wasn't new for me because somewhere inside, like I, I felt it. Mm-hmm. I was like, when, when I sat there in the training the first time it clicked, mm-hmm. I was like, right. Like that's what's missing mm-hmm. um, because they don't teach that way in, in graduate school. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very different. And therapists most often uh, first are taught from like a cognitive place. Like, let's right. talk about it. Let's talk right. about it right. from a body aware. Like uh, it's just a very different way of thinking about things. So um, I really appreciated that shift. Um, but there are a lot of different models that I still want to learn more about. Like I love IFS. Mm-hmm. Um, Internal family systems. Done, right. It is, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Translate. Yeah. Um, but it, it sounds like family work, but it's not right. It talks right. about like the different right. parts um, to people and how we all have different parts of ourselves that could be in like sometimes in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done an extensive training in that yet because it's really hard to get into a training and it has to be shot as friendly. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's always something that I'm interested in because I really appreciate that people are not just one thing. Right. Um, and that there could be so much that is involved in even just like one thought could be like a thousand different feelings that come with it. Could you tell us what somatic work is for those who don't know? Yeah. So I have to just see if I can do justice to explain it in like briefly. Um, are you a writer? Because I see that words are like, you pick I, I'm not a writer. Like I don't think of my, myself that yeah. way. But when yeah. I, I love to write when it comes mm-hmm. out and it's like, oh, wow, that, that came out like just how I wanted to. Articulate uh, it. How I felt it. Right. Right. How you, right. if it comes out the way you feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm always worried I'm not going to do if I if I use the wrong words I'm not going to do the feelings justice because right. you got to you got to explain something that happens in here mm-hmm. outside that's why the words don't always do it that's why somatic work is so moving right. for you I guess yeah exactly um what was the question somatic work so yeah I think to explain like some parts of it um I forgot what the quote is, but there was some kind of quote and I don't remember, so it's not fair to even do that, do it justice, but something about saying babies are, something about them being pre-linguistic, right? That they're like, their experiences, right. Right. Their, their language. Right. Um, it's not, and then the quote says something like, it's not that babies are pre-linguistic, but that language is, ah, this is it, it's post-kinetic. Mm-hmm. Language comes second. Right you first have a body experience in the world. Right. That's right. your well, first experience. My, my friend um, speaks sign language because she, she works with those who are blind and deaf. Mm-hmm. And she taught her babies how to sign when they're hungry. I did. Yeah, I did you did also? My, I, I did it. I just learned about it. So I actually yeah. just did it. It was my last yeah. child, like starting at around five, six months. Right. I can't tell you how like beautiful it is to see. Right, because they, they, right, they don't speak yeah. with language, but they could. Yeah communicate they know exactly exactly what they need exactly what they want and exactly what they need and it's almost unfair of us to kind of like take that away from them it's so cool that's what it feels like even in terms of like intuitive eating right is that you used to have that intuition and it was taken from you right right that you learned in a world where it told you to stop feeling right stop sensing like you need to check inside and see and some of us forget how to do that once the language comes online we stop checking right Right. Um, when it comes so to any, of, anybody experience, like with yeah. hungerfulness. But or, even an idea, you know, let's say I give yeah. you advice about something. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a really good idea. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And you don't even check inside to see how that right. sits with you. Right. I mean, that's really unfair, right? You're not even checking if that's what you really want. Like, so this is, this is, this is somatic. So, yes. so, so let's, yeah. So let's back up for a second. So I think that we all have the capacity to, um, Right, we all have a nervous system mm-hmm. and our nervous system is there to regulate and we all have the capacity to regulate ourselves. Um, but we, right, like we lose some of it. Regulate ourselves, meaning regulate any, everything, our emotions and what, like, what do you mean? Yeah, we can regulate, like when, when somebody feels like, let's talk about the breath for a second, right? Yeah. Your breath is natural, it comes all by itself, right? Um, it go, just goes up and down, right? Mm-hmm. You think of it like waves. Mm-hmm. Um, like an inhale and exhale. That's how, you know, think of, um, you ever watch the show where there the uh, medical shows where they have like somebody on a monitor and you see that little thing going up and down. Right. That's like your, it's like your nervous system, right? Yeah. Um, it's connected to it. So your breath, right? Let's, a lot of the time you, it's funny because you'll hear people say, um, when you're really upset, they'll say, take a deep breath. Right. But it's kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, try it now, right? If I say yeah. take a deep breath, like fill your whole air in with space. Like, like what do you feel? I'm actually really bad at taking a deep breath. Yeah, okay. Maybe well, you could explain well, see, it. When you said bad, what, but the thing is, the reason why it probably doesn't feel right is because it's not what you need in the moment. A, a breath in is activating. It fills you up with energy. Mm-hmm. That's not what you need when you need to calm down. You need a... Right out right so this is my friend was just teaching me about this like she's told me to smell coffee she said because i because i said i don't know how to take a deep breath so she said to smell coffee the one who works for the board of it so curious no she said just smell something and i happened to to work with kids at some point after the clinic when i was trying to move away from the intensity i worked in a special ed school and i remember teaching the kids about the flower candle Uh uh-huh Told what is imagine that? you're holding imagine you're holding a flower in oh, one hand yeah and a candle in the other hand yeah so you're going to smell the flower and blow out the candle right. it's like so much more simple yeah um to explain than but but yeah. essentially um the breath in is activating so that's why it's a it's a terrible advice to give somebody when they're upset you don't want them to have more energy filling up that space you want them to let it out Right. So I started saying breathe out or blow out. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so the nervous system by itself is, is by nature, just a um, in and out. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
your, I mean, your breath just happens by itself. You don't need to remind yourself to breathe. Right. The thing is you need to start doing that when you forget, or you forget to, um, you forget to use it. I mean, it's there Mm -hmm. for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, really the, the somatic work is about being able to regulate and, and some, and I think one of the main pieces, it's not all of it is to find calm. Right. Um, I think that's the nature of like working with trauma in, in, in general, but it's mm-hmm. any kind of somatic work. You don't have to have been through a tremendous trauma to, to appreciate being able to calm your nervous system. Right? So why, why, when you say like that is the nature of somebody who has experienced trauma, are you saying that the trauma has made them dysregulated? Like what exactly? Um, so, so what happens is that we, um, we like to think we hold everything up here. This is the <laughs> sacred space right all our thinking but reality is it's really only a part of it and we hold a lot in our body right our experience and in our body and our nervous system goes through our whole body experiences right. something right right the it's 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 the uh, it's the container where all the experiences happen too right so it would only make sense that the work comes through it right as opposed to just the thinking it doesn't all happen upstairs right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I think it was a Stan Siegel. He has like a hand model of the brain. If you're watching this, you can see, but otherwise, if not, just imagine I'm, I'm holding my hand like a, like a fist, right? Um, with my thumb inside or on the outside, whatever it is. But um, he talks about how you sometimes, this is the part of the brain where it's like the thinking part of the brain that it kind of goes offline. Mm-hmm. And here's like your amygdala and your other, I don't know when you have to get all into it. But mm-hmm. um, when you're, when you are, going through something that's either um, you can't make sense of or that's violating or that's painful. The, the thinking part of the brain, you don't have time to like think it through, right? This is protective, right? You're not supposed to think it through. You're, you protect yourself, right? The fight, flight, freeze, or right? all of that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're not like, hmm, what should I do here, right? That doesn't happen. You're, that part of the brain is offline. What's, the, what's available is, is the part of you that just reacts, right? And protects. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it with the animals, right? Um, if this, it, it, again, because it's protect, I, I like to think of it as protective, right? Because um, sometimes people get upset at themselves, like, why didn't I do that? Or why did I do this? Or I should have, mm-hmm. right? You didn't because you were protecting yourself, mm-hmm. right? So let's, for example, going back to the animals, right? If you had an animal that was just you know, sitting and enjoying the sunset and just um, taking it all in, right? I mean, that animal's dead. I mean, you didn't see the lion coming to pounce. Right. She's not, right. right? The animals that are, the animals that are like kind of vigilant that are looking around, like are looking up to the sky, if the bird's gonna come grab them or they mm-hmm. hear the twigs snapping, they can run, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's really adaptive and yeah. it's protective right. to keep yourself safe. So in a moment where you're in danger, and whether that's physical or emotional danger, danger the same, right? You are going to do everything you can to just keep yourself okay. That's a body kind of automatic response. Right. You're not going to sit there and think about it, right? Later, you might think about it, but if we're going to go back to what happened there, I mm-hmm. mean, we need to address it from that felt sense experience. The felt sense, I don't remember who calls it a felt sense, somebody. Somebody called it a felt sense, but I heard this from Ricky Bernstein, who I don't know if you know her, but she, 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 I've done trainings with her in somatic intervention. She's really wonderful, but she talks about, she quotes a lot of different people. So it's hard to remember who said this, but the felt sense is your felt experience, like what you felt in the moment, what your body experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to go back to that because the, the healing can happen bottom up, they call it, instead of like top down. Top down right. approaches would be like a cognitive. Right behavioral approach or thinking things like those are um it's not to say that either of those things are not good either approach is good top down or or bottom Mm -hmm. up but Mm -hmm. but when if you want to address things that happened when your brain wasn't there how are you going to address it through the through your brain right it doesn't even make sense right 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 um that's a very interesting way especially if yeah and especially if what happened was pre-verbal right meaning before you even had language Right? If you have like attachment-based things when you were actually even just an infant mm-hmm. or when you're young, you still don't have all the language. 
Wow. That's intense even to yeah. hear. Yeah. So, so you kind of relive the experience with the client and helping them to. You don't see. So that's also the thing is that with this kind of work, I was reminded or kind of, I think maybe not reminded, but it kind of was really interesting to notice that you don't have to know every single detail. So in talk therapy, you're so busy with like the right. story, right. And like all the details of it. Right. Um, but when you kind of go to where, where it felt like, what it felt like in the body, right. What, what it felt like, um, what's happening as you even think about it. You don't need to have every single detail. It's just, um, so you don't have to, and also for a lot of people, it's not safe to write right away, go back to whatever that experience is. So sometimes mm -hmm. we're, even if you think about like boundaries, mm -hmm. like if, if also, especially if the, um, the abuse happened to the body, then it's really kind of unsafe to start going directly to the body work when the arena for the abuse was the body. I mean, that's mm -hmm. really not that would be really frightening. If I was mm -hmm. gonna walk in your office and you're gonna say, and I, something happened to my body and you're gonna say, okay, let's check inside. I'd be like, hell no, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that. That's really scary. Right. I might not say that in those words, but right. I'll, I'll do something. I'll give some kind of signal that shows I am not ready to do that. Right, right? I, I am not um, feeling safe enough to do that. Right. So you need to have some kind of like boundary outside of where the, the scary part is to, to right. like work closer to it. Right, and I will say just from my, my line of work that children who are put on diets as kids, that mm -hmm. is like serious body trauma slash emotional sure. trauma, right? And, yeah. um, and also just for those people who have chronically been dieting, binging is almost like a defense mechanism because of all that deprivation. So wait, what was, sorry, I didn't hear binging, you. Like, oh, binging, like using food to cope yeah. or binging. And so many clients are like, what's wrong with me? what is wrong with me? I have no mm -hmm. self-control. I'm disgusting, like horrible, horrible language for themselves. And I'm like, right. really? Cause this is your body like protecting you. Right. So this is yeah. like similar. Exactly. So how are you supposed to let go of that? Maybe right. Something that's protective exactly. of you. Right. Right. Um, I think that, I, so at some point you start to realize that the thing that's protecting you might be getting in the way. But if your therapist is kind of like, yeah, you shouldn't do that anymore. You don't need to. That's kind of like, that's not fair. Right. I'm not ready to let go of these defenses. I mean, they're called defenses for a reason, right. whether they're doing me, you know, they're helping me or you know, see, that's why I also like the nuance of the work that, that they could also be helping you and also doing you a disservice. So we want to consider like, what else can we do? Right. We don't want to just like grab the carpet from underneath you and now you've right. got nothing. Right. It's really not, not safe and really scary. Right. right. Also for clients who just have a problem articulating their feelings, mm -hmm. somatic work or IFS or other... Right. modalities are just so much easier in a right. way yeah I, I mean it depends on the person some people are even so uncomfortable with that like why would i don't want to check inside my mm -hmm. body mm -hmm. what are you even talking about right. Right. right right i find that i even even just placing sometimes placing your hand right here for some people is really really i i can send some people they do this can i don't know if you can see yeah I can like, see. you see my fingers are resting mm -hmm. on my chest but not my hand like i'm almost afraid to feel it right I even know that for myself, if, you know, sometimes somebody might, might suggest that I do that. And if something's too big, I'm like, Ugh, no, I can't feel it yet. I don't, I don't want to, I, right. it, it might be too scary. Right. So some people are really afraid of even putting their hand right here. How much right. are they going to feel? Right. I want to say also about like dissociating from their, from your body, like um, sometimes binging and restricting mm -hmm. are both ways to dis disassociate right. from a body that kind of, right caused us so much pain so right. that is like probably so much sure. I don't know but I'm saying somatic work that actually what's also really interesting in terms of just body image um if you think about it what we've been told for a very long time for a lot of people have been told that they need to focus on what their body looks like outside right. and how are you supposed to I mean just from like a basic overwhelming kind of experience how are you supposed to focus on both at the same time if my outside is so important, I have to just stop focusing on what's going on inside because how else am I supposed to do that? That's I mean, a good point. That's really like, it's almost too much to ask. Mm -hmm. And you're also telling me that what, I, what outside is much more important. Right. If you're saying that it, it matters a lot more um, whether I'm put together than, and that you know, somebody sees me and, and, and I don't know, equates my worth with that then mm -hmm. I'm going to stop focusing on all the things that I'm feeling that are telling me 
I don't want to put on makeup that day, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm because I'm not feeling it and I have a lot going on and I want to kind of look like how I feel, but you're telling me that I can't do that. So I need to just start ignoring what's happening inside. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. The same thing with like people who are chronic dieters, dieting and food takes up like 80% of their headspace, Mm but they can't focus on. Well, in a way they can't focus on the important things and in a way they can't focus on, let's say trauma because it's just too painful. So we use, we use our body internally, externally to defend or distract in a lot of ways. Really interesting. Exactly. And I think it's also um, the idea of even considering what it would be like to not do that is really scary and also could be filled with a lot of grief. Yes. To like let go of that, that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that I'm still in an intuitive eating kind of journey. I haven't even made it through the book because mm-hmm. I have, I think I have like, I want to say like eight books on my nightstand yeah. and I start like each one. I get some it. are fiction for safety. Like I don't always yeah. want to be thinking. Right. Some are on trauma, some are intuitive eating, some yeah. are on parenting. Oh yeah. It's I like a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, so I never even made it through the book yet, but I think the idea that, that, and I'm trying to grab onto this idea that I might never diet again is it's kind of frightening and also like it comes with a grief like that mm-hmm. I need to let go of that even though I it happens to be that I'm, I'm not a person who was a chronic dieter um that's a whole other podcast because I feel like we <laughs> limited option for for like how much we can talk about right now but I think that um you have to come back just, to talk about that oh again oh yeah, yeah. it took us so long to schedule this <laughs> I know we have to see our, yeah oh my gosh life is so crazy hopefully the world will get back to normal and we'll have actual actual schedules you know right right um but even the idea that I I might have to just let my body be whatever it needs to be is I'm like, I'm scared even as I say it. And if you're asking me if I need to check inside, I mean, we're in a public space, so I'm not like going to go all the way deep inside it, but I could feel like my heart and like my something happening over here when I even have to consider saying that out loud. And why is it so, why is it so frightening? It's so familiar. Like it's something that I, you're telling me that something that I've thought to be true for a very long time is actually not how it needs to be and it's not true. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's a lot to process. Right. Right? I, right. I think I think of this also in the same kind of thinking as I think about birth. Because for a very long time we've been told, and, and maybe a lot of people might be triggered when I say this, that it's supposed to be this terrible, painful thing. Mm-hmm. And I had a huge problem with that. Um, and like that seems wrong. So much to say about this, but even so that I went back to like the, the Rashi in the Torah where, where it says like what it means that the Chava was going to be cursed with this um, thing that, that childbirth was going to be hard for her. You notice how I say hard. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm not translating that word as painful. I mean, when you look at the word, when you see where it says that Adam's going to have a hard time with work, it's the same Shoresh and like the root of the word, it's the same word. And yet they translate it for Chava as painful. She's going to have painful, but for him, work's going to be hard. Why is it that we're not saying that 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 um, birth is going to be like effortful? It's going to be really difficult, mm-hmm. but we say it's going to be pain. Mm-hmm. Right. So for a very long time, back to what I was saying, right? That's also a, that's a third podcast. Yeah. Um, back to um, what you're saying. Why is it going to be, it's familiar for you. Ah, right. So we've been told for a very long time that that's how it's supposed to be. Like all the right. stories you hear, like even growing up, like your own birth story, like your mother, oh yeah, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. It bothered me. So I went to find something different and I did. Um, hypnobirthing? Hypnobirthing, yeah. yeah. And and you know what? It bothers me that it's called hypnobirthing because I'm like, it should just be called birthing. Mm-hmm. This is what it should be, right? That, that people should know that this is like a natural thing that their body can do and that it's going to take a lot of effort, but if they weren't so afraid of it and the world has told you to be afraid of it and that it's going to be terrible and painful and the stories that everybody has to tell you all the time that how are you supposed to think of it otherwise? Right. It's true. Right. Um, so it feels like similar, but for me, that was a lot easier to gravitate towards because right away I knew that didn't sit well with me. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, right. But I would so, say that most kids don't even learn what you're saying, which is, Oh yeah. Right. 
that's another that's a fourth podcast oh gosh you're teaching people like teenagers or adults for the first time like your body's giving you a message and let's say let's say it's even your body's telling you that it's hungry the diet's Mm -hmm. not telling you it's empty right like that's even Mm -hmm. a an example so that's like a total right it's for most of your clients this is they they were taught to regulate Um, them they were taught to notice them or no no right right yeah, I mean, most, I don't see anybody very young anymore. So it's like, we're, ha- we're talking about like, you know, relearning something you should have learned when you're young. Right. Um, which for a lot of my clients, it seems unfair. And they're right. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a grief in that. Mm-hmm. that like, I, that I wasn't given what I needed. And now I need to learn it. And, and there's a grief in also of, you know, grieving that you didn't have what you really wanted or what you needed. Mm-hmm. And, and being afraid to even feel that grief because then who are you blaming and that there's like so many so much feeling that there's so much that comes up with that right like same thing and safe to consider right well it's the same thing with like let's say you're a lot of I think this is just what they're calling it now adulting right like yeah. um <laughs> like uh thinking that birth is really hard that's a belief system that right. you absorbed thinking that I have to be on a diet thinking that I have to be thin to right. be lovable and then as we get older or whatever, I don't know, as we mature, as we decide to learn something triggers you to think differently. Yeah, something, right. There is a lot of feelings that comes with it. And then how do we process that? Right. So there's two parts. There's, I mean, there's a lot of parts, but there's just the part of like all the feeling that comes with. Right. um, And being able to hold on to that, whether that's good or, I mean, it is good. It's always good to to have the feelings, but it's hard, really Mm -hmm. hard work sometimes to let in those things that you were told not to. Right, so there's the feelings, and then on top of that is like learning a whole other way, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's a lot, mm-hmm. but it's also, um, I think I want to say something comforting because it feels like that's a lot. Like, it's a, yeah. oh gosh, like for somebody thinking of like even starting a therapy journey, it's it's um, like, oh my gosh, you're scaring me away. Right. Why would I want right. to start opening this up? Right, um, but I think we need to consider that the things that we learn and relearn are happen in small, little, little bites. So, and they, and they, and the way that the brain works actually, just to go back to some of the science of it is that when, um, what's the quote? They say neurons that fire together, wire together, mm-hmm. which means that if you start to something that happens, like some, a new connection, new neural connection is made in your brain, um, new experience, every time like that new wonderful experience happens, it's like, it, it starts to, to start attaching those things together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. Let's think about this in a completely non-confusing way for a second. If you notice behind me, my walls are very bare because I'm looking for this very specific kind of painting to portray mm-hmm. this. Something mm-hmm. about it feels very, very important to me. But okay. if you think about like um, a field of grass, right. It's just green grass. Right. Um, Imagine you try to like cut through it. You're walking through, like it's a bit difficult. It's hard to get through when you start to break some of the grass, right? Um, but you can get through it, but it's really not so easy, right? Um, now imagine you do that like 10, 15 more times. Like you start to break it, it starts to be a little bit. Now think of like the, that shortcut that like everybody in the community takes and has been taking it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Like there used to be grass there. There's no grass there. There's this nice like brown path that right. gets you right through. Right. That's what happens when you keep doing something again and again, or you keep having a new experience, your brain starts to create a pathway. But in the beginning, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it feels like uh, this is not, it's not enough. It's not helpful, whatever it is. But each little bit, each of those neurons, right, that are like firing at that moment, like right, that little kind of connection with your therapist that, that lets you know that you're hurt, that lets you know that you're, someone's with you. That little tiny, like that, that little like hour, we're um, not even like of time. And that, that, that two minute space of that hour that you felt she was listening or he, right? Something happens there. And then it adds up to a point where eventually you've got this like nice, you've got a pathway mm-hmm. right, in your brain mm-hmm. that, and you can, brains are neuroplastic, right? They are able to reshape. Mm-hmm. We're not permanently one way, but it's not like we're doomed. Um, we are able to change that, which is really cool, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's, I don't think this is, I don't think that we're portraying like only like only, we're not portraying <laughs> doom and gloom. We're portraying right. like 
that we're humans and we have yeah. feelings and sometimes those feelings need space mm -hmm. to be heard and processed and and then you're right then we could change the narrative right. almost yeah yeah for that's sure. very powerful um Okay, just because the time, the hour is coming up. Do, yeah. is there, we're going to do another podcast, maybe maybe three more, but what, what yeah, we should leave? we should schedule it now so that it like actually happens, right? Right, right in the next six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is it that you want to like leave the listeners with? Like the most important thing, let's say, or you could pick a few. I like that you give me that option because it's hard for me to just choose one thing. Um, I have to think about that. I'm very flexible, so. Mm. I think that was something that, that has been coming up for me a lot since because of Instagram. Um, first, just as an aside, let's just say that Instagram has never, like, you know, when you're trained as a therapist, you're told to stay private, stay small, stay quiet. Mm -hmm. Instagram is like the first, I mean, at first it's like a big, do not do that. Like, what are you mm -hmm. thinking? And there are a lot mm -hmm. of therapists even now who'd be like, yeah, that's not for me. Right. Because they've been told it's not. Um, so you've seen like a huge shift and there's a lot on there. But I also mm -hmm. want to say, because of that, it looks like, oh, therapy's popular now. Mm -hmm. If you want to be cool, go to therapy. Right. And the two things happen. First of all, that's wonderful. Cause, okay, well, at least reduce the stigma. And right. if it's cool, then more people will go. But right. on the flip side of that, you also have people saying, oh, it's like a fad. Like oh, fun. it's like, oh, people need yeah. therapy now, right? right. Oh, what, what does the therapist have to say? And it's not fair also because it's real. It's very, very real. Like the space, you know, the things that happen over here mm -hmm. um, are very, very real. And they're not something that people do because they want to be cool, because they want to be fun, like they want to be part of the people who do that. Um, although at the same time, if we're going to use marketing for anything, like what we might as well use it for something that's actually going to benefit people. Right. Um, so I get the pull, like, oh, right. it's popular now, let me do it. But I really want people to know that it's something very real and it's not just like a cute post or it's... Um, you know, um, something that only those, you know, those people say like, oh, my therapist said, you know, like, and people roll their eyes, mm -hmm. you know, that it's, that it's a very real space to just be with another human. I mean, we could just stop calling it therapy if that made people feel better, you know, to just be in a space where somebody is going to be there just to listen to you and to hear you out and to help you figure it out. They're not going to fix you. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. They're not going to fix it. They're not going to take it away. They're not going to give you all the answers, but they're going to help you figure it out. And they're going to be there to hold that base. Um, and if people are like, well, that's not enough. It has to be because that's what's been missing mm -hmm. for most people. That's what's been missing the space that nobody held the space for them. So I think that that's, um, that's, if that's the only thing that somebody could even offer as a therapist. Um, and that's why I teach my students, um, if that's the only thing that you can offer right now, because you just don't know enough about the modalities you want to use, that is tremendous. Do you know what it's like for a person to have a place that once a week they go and somebody is just there to like bear witness to their journey? Like, I, I think that by itself is tremendous. So I totally agree uh, with that. Yeah. So it's not just for the, for the cool kids. Oh, for sure. I mean, not, yeah, not that I'm a therapist, but like even in my own Honestly, office. it's the same thing. Right. It's the same right. thing. It's a different approach. Like right. where you're coming from. A different angle. But yeah. like so many clients start crying and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so weird. I'm so sorry. I'm mm -hmm. like you and every other client yeah. because talking about your body yeah. and talking about your dieting and how much it's, it's tied into mm -hmm. your own physical experience is painful and yeah. it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah. I think we're very, we're very used to saying sorry for crying because we've been told for a long time that we shouldn't. Stop right. crying. Stop crying. I'll give you a lolly if you stop crying. I mean, yeah. that's what you have going on in your brain. So think about the, the, the neuron that fire together, wire together. You right. have been wired to think that um, crying is, is something you need to apologize for. Right. For sure. And I'll be the first one to admit that sometimes I have a hard time with that. Like yeah. I'll start crying um, and I'll, I'll, I'll th try to stop myself mm -hmm. unless I'm alone. Right. 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 right? And, and there's something really sad about that. That's not yeah. fair. Right. I'm working on it. Yeah. I know that when I, I recently, like in the last, since I started doing intuitive eating, have definitely mm -hmm. connected with a lot of therapists and I was out to dinner with a few of them. I think it was Rachel Tuckman and Ellie Shavod. I mean, Esther Goldstein. And I said something about, oh, I yeah, I, I said, oh, that's so cute. 
she, hopefully she'll come on also. And we yeah, still have so I'm much more to do. We have so much more to talk about also because I wanted yeah. to talk about trauma and waking and all that stuff. But I remember saying like something about my my mother. My mother passed away very suddenly two years ago. And I remember saying something really like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, sorry yeah. to make you feel uncomfortable. I remember they're like, stop apologizing for these feelings <laughs> or something. And I was like, wow. Like, like what do you think being... was going to happen when you went to lunch with your right. therapist? Right. I'm being like therapized right now, but I feel kind of good because like, it's so interesting how like your pain, like you apologize for your pain and it like mm-hmm. really doesn't make any sense. Like, right. Like so to be human is to have pain. So why right. are we apologizing for it all the time? Right. Right. Yeah. And I say this knowing that like probably this morning I was doing that. Right. We're still, right. it's still something we're learning. Right. Right. We have to keep learning. And it would be so beautiful if we could like, as we're learning, try much harder to do that for the next generation, whether you're listening to this and you have kids or not, whatever kids you come in contact with. For me, that's still my own children. Um, but for other people, you know, that doesn't have to mean your own children, but even just for other people in the universe, if you can just be able to be there in a way that tells them that that's okay. Right. They're going to have that with them that they know that there was someone that was, actually like letting space for that that's like information really good information for them right i have to quote Brene brown here because she says i i don't remember where i heard her maybe in a podcast or i think it was in her book mm-hmm. she said that she one almost, of many one of many she, <laughs> yeah. i don't remember which one but she was yeah. about to go to her she was flying home and mm-hmm. she was about to go to her daughter's like last game maybe football or hockey or whatever yeah. i don't remember something really important it was like the last game or maybe homecoming i don't really know but she was something. like it was very exciting. It was like t- tons of like emotion tied mm-hmm. into it. And um, she missed her flight and she mm-hmm. missed the game and she was bawling and crying. And she said she couldn't even help herself but to say to her assistant or whoever was with like, I know this isn't like a, tr- like a tragedy. I know nobody died, but I'm so sad. And, and she was saying that like the more, we don't run out of empathy. We don't have to right. save empathy for like people mm-hmm. in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Like the more empathy there is, the more empathy that that growth right, and it's right. like it's so powerful yeah. so that's the thing though is for people who have not experienced empathy it actually does feel like that it feels mm-hmm. like if I give you I, I don't even have anything inside to give so if I give you some of it like what's going to be left in right. here right. so that's why it's so important for us to be able to empathize with other people so that they have more for other people right it's like a pay it forward mm-hmm. kind of thing you won't actually it doesn't actually happen that they take away from you but it feels like that if you don't mm-hmm. have right if people are not there for you that's what it feels like. It's like making me tear up. It's like yeah. so it's like it you're tearing so out your insides, right? Yeah. So that's why it's almost like it's unfair to to be upset with people who say like I don't know how to give that, right? What they're saying is like nobody ever gave it to me, right? And if how am I supposed to even know what that looks like, right? So well, okay, you're doing awesome work. Thank you for joining us, and I'll leave I hope, all your. I really hope. Yeah. No, you're gonna come back, and we're gonna like, learn so much more from you. As I. You know, what's funny is I, I, I moved into this office. I moved a few offices I was sharing, whatever it is, in February. But then, like, so shortly after that was the pandemic that I, and I am because, like, a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'm, like, trying to find the perfect things for the office. Um, so it's still taking me some time to set up. And then I wasn't here. I was, like, working from my, you know, my baby's room, you know, and during, during uh, the throes of the, the pandemic, which don't even feel like they're over. So yeah. anyways, um, I remember thinking like the one thing that I want to put up here, which I haven't, so I had better get on that. It's just like a prayer to know that like before that I, before I consider that I'm coming in here, whether I have things that, you know, to support someone or I don't, that like, I can just like be able to offer just a little bit of that. Like it's the only thing that I can uh, hold on to, to know that, that, that that's enough. To know that like I just considered that I was mindful and like went inside, right? To know that like I can offer something and the only thing that I want to do to offer somebody is just to really just be there with them and hope that I can give them enough. Wow. So powerful. So so thank you. And I'm going to link all your info in the show notes so people can find you. For sure. If you want to say like where people yeah. can find you in the internet. Um, well, that's the good thing about being on um, Instagram. Instagram. It's like you could just say, go to Instagram. Because you know what's really unfair, actually, to the world is that therapists are so hard to find. Yeah. It's not fair. Like, they should be able to find you. This is why people don't go, don't go to therapy. Right. I remember when I actually started on Instagram, I meant to do a story on this, and I never did because it seemed like an overwhelming task. 
how to find therapists. I put some questions up and people really were saying like, where are you mm-hmm. supposed to even find? I know there's mm-hmm. referral agencies, but like sometimes people don't feel ready for that or don't, it's not, the connection's not there. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be on Instagram, even though it happens to be, it's a lot of work. Yep. Um, it feels like a second job. So sometimes I pull back from it, but I am there. You can find me there. There's a little button somewhere on the page that says contact and the information is there. Um, Patsy Penson, LCSW, which is okay. at, um, whatever, at, I don't know. You'll find me there. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, and hopefully we'll do this again. Yes, well, we have to, we must. Thank you so yeah, much for coming Next on. time I'll be on your podcast, I'll interview you about your work. Oh, I would love to. Ha- I love to so talk. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Me have too. A good so it's fun. Yeah. So we, we have to schedule three more. So We will. Three more. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wait till the world says Corona free and then I'm in. I'll, I'm okay. there right with you. You know, it's just. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.